Good morning. Let's go one more time. We've got a slim crowd, it looks like today, so let's give it another try. Good morning. That's a little bit better. Okay. Um, I'd like to first mention we have some special visitors with us today. We have Dr. Thigpen. He's with us and his family as well. And I've seen a couple of other visitors out there, and I'd just like to say welcome, and we'd love to have you all back anytime. I have a few announcements um, from Patrick. League starts back tonight, so any of our youth that are in here, parents, league does start back tonight. And for our evening worship tonight, there's going to be a surprise service. So if you want to know what the surprise is, you have to come tonight at 6 o'clock and find out. Board of Stewards, we do not meet tomorrow night. We meet next Monday night. And I have an announcement from, this is actually from the Horse Branch Church. This is a Come to the Fountain Ladies Conference. This is something that all of the churches in the community, all the ladies from different churches are invited to. It is at, it will be at Horse Branch and on September the 19th. And there will be a sign-up sheet out back um, I don't know if it's there yet, but there will be a sign-up sheet. But this is for all ladies of all ages, and uh, there will be a meal at 12 that day. That's all the announcements I have at this time. Are there any others? Oh, 33, the uh, 33 series this week, uh, Tuesday at 7.30 and Wednesday at 6 o'clock in the morning. That's all the announcements I have. If that's all, let's bow to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, for allowing us to be in your house today, Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for each individual, Lord, that, you, that you've blessed enough with the health to be here today. Father, Lord, we are so blessed beyond measure, Lord. We look around this world, Lord, and we look at the, the folks, Lord, in other countries, Lord, who, who can't be in a service this morning, Lord, without fearing for their lives, Lord. But Father, you see fit, Lord, that that's not us right now at this point. Father, Lord, we love you and thank you, Lord. And as, as Dr. Thigpen brings the message, Lord, we just pray that, that it will minister to all our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Truly, this is the day the Lord has made. And as other Sundays, we're rejoicing together in it because as a family of God, we're here together to praise his holy name. Our call to worship Joining together, this is a day followed by hymn number 106, Praise Him, Praise Him. Stand together as we worship the Lord in song. This is the day, this is the day the Lord has made together singing.
Let's join together before the Lord in prayer together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for your love and your grace. We thank you again for the fact that though we're unworthy, yet one day as the Holy Spirit convicted, someone shared with us the wonders of Jesus' saving grace. We repented of our sin and accepted Christ as personal Savior. In that moment, the Holy Spirit came into our hearts to transform us and to be our continued abiding comforter. Lord, we praise you and magnify your name because we call you Abba Father. And yet, while we enjoy that blessing, we realize around us and throughout the world, there are multitudes who still have not heard or maybe heard but have not yet responded. Help us, Lord, to be that faithful witness by our life by our testimony. Again, use our lives to be your, your ambassadors until you come again. We thank you also for this opportunity of worship. And as we gather, we come in the precious name of the Lord Jesus to praise your name and thank you for all your goodness to us. We pray today, particularly, Lord, that you would be with those who cannot be here because of sickness or affliction. We'd like to be here, but health will not permit it this time. Be with them, Lord, strengthen them, and according to your will, just Touch them with your healing grace. And again, we pray, Lord, for our missionaries throughout the world as they're laboring and sharing the gospel of Christ, particularly those who are in the, the harm's way of uh, anti-Christian enemies who would even seek their lives and seek to snuff out the gospel. We know, Lord, it cannot be, it cannot be snuffed out. It cannot be, it cannot be destroyed because the gospel is the power of God on the salvation and all the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. But be with them and protect them, Lord, and give them again courage. We pray for them, we pray for ourselves, Lord. We thank you for our nation where we're free to worship as we so choose. We're free to witness without fear or favor of men. But Lord, if that day should ever come, as others have experienced, help us to be strong in the faith. With that, we do pray for our nation, Lord, for a need of revival, a need of getting our leadership, our nation, back to the Judeo principles of your word on which it was founded. And yet, Lord, we know that revival, spiritual awakening will not come from the White House or from the Congress or Senate. It will come from the Church of Jesus Christ. So help us not to despair, but to continue to hold forth the light of light. Forgive us of our sins and shortcoming and guide us in your love and for your purpose. Be with our pastor and his wife while they're having some vacation time away. Watch over them and bring them safely home again. And be with Brother Thigpen as he shares the word this morning. Anoint his lips, his message with your purpose for our hearts. And may we have open hearts to receive. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name with thanksgiving. Amen and amen.
if I could have our ushers to come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for, for all that you give us, Lord. Father, you've blessed us beyond measure, Lord. And Father, we just ask now that as we, we give back that portion, Lord, that we've decided in our hearts to give back, Lord, that it all comes from you, Lord. And Father, we just ask that what we give you, Lord, that Father, you'll just take it and multiply it for your kingdom, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Tiffany, for that special during the offering. We're joined together in singing another hymn. Following this, Mary Lane will be coming and sharing a special selection. And then I'll introduce our speaker now and uh, let him take charge after that. First time I met Brother Thigpen many years ago. Yeah, he was... Uh, he was going to Columbia Bible College and Columbia International University. And hey, they had him so spaced out, his hair was all curly and, and uh, wavy. Thank goodness it didn't wave goodbye, but it turned kind of like mine, you know, kind of. <laughs> you liked that, didn't you, Mark? Mark, why was, his, why was his hair curly? Well, anyway, we'll let that be where it may be, but uh, <laughs> that's right, buddy. Anyway. I've learned to appreciate and love Brother Dan and his wife over these years. God has used him wonderfully, used him mightily, and uh, much like how it happened to him in 1990, something happened to him he didn't expect either. His plans were to go back to Philadelphia Church again for another time of service, but according to the Lord's divine purpose, uh, God planned further for him and he was elected by the General Conference body under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to become 
the president of our denomination for the next four years, and I advised him to go ahead and nail his furniture down for four more years after that. And so you pray for Brother Dan and for Faye, for Mark, that God will continue to bless them. Uh, Dr. Thigpen is now with his family residing in Orangeburg at the headquarters, president's office, doing great work for our church. But you know, I've been there and I know that. It takes God's people praying for him and her daily to give them wisdom and direction as he seeks to guide our church in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Dr. Thigpen, following the singing of this particular number and then the special by Mary, we'll turn our pulpit over to Brother Dan for the message of the morning. Number 271, standing on the promises and let us stand together as we join in singing. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. All of God's people said, Amen. Mary, come and bless our hearts at this time. And the Dr. Thigpen following that. Thank you. 
his mighty power and his grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. In the midst of his children, the Lord said he would be. It doesn't take very many. It could be just two or three. And I feel that same sweet spirit that I felt of times before. Surely I can say that I've been with the Lord. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his mighty power and his grace. There's a holy hush around us as God's glory fills this place. I've touched the hem of his garment. I can almost see his face. And my heart is overflowing in the fullness of his joy. I know. Good morning. Certainly is a pleasure for me to be with you this morning. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be able to come and share with you a few things from God's Word as far as we as believers are concerned, as well as His church, and as well as the future of our denomination. 
I certainly appreciate Dr. Blank, and uh, we have worked together uh, a number of years and have gotten along just fine until now. I mean, of all of the things that you could have said about me, you had to mention something about my hair. And uh, all I can say about that is Faith finally straightened me out. <laughs> what I would like to do this morning is uh, share with you a few thoughts concerning our general conference theme. I know that you are aware of the fact that by now that our theme for this year is wholly committed to the authority of God's word. And so that's the topic that I would like to address this morning. So I would invite you to turn with me, if you would please, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to read two verses for you. You probably already know these verses. I trust that you do. But in case you don't, let's remind ourselves of what the scripture says. All scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity that is ours to be together in your house to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for what you have done. We thank you, Lord, for your interaction in our hearts and in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for that which you desire to do in us and through us as we yield ourselves to your control. We thank you for this portion of your holy word that we have read this morning. And we pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts from these very words. We acknowledge the truth of your word. We know, Lord, that your word is settled forever in heaven and it will not change. So give us insight and understanding into your truth. And may we apply that to our lives in practical ways that we might be better equipped to serve you effectively in our society today. We commit this time together, Lord, to you. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would bless. For it's in your name we ask with thanksgiving. Amen. All you have to do is pick up the morning newspaper or turn on the television set and you automatically know that our country is in trouble and that the church of Jesus Christ is facing some gigantic challenges. The moral ills of our society are getting worse and worse. The very foundation upon which this great nation of ours was founded is being pulled out from under us and our walls are rapidly crumbling. Political correctness and secularism is attempting to take away the church's ability to speak the truth and to address the real moral issues of our day. But with God's help, my friends, I am committed to the fact that we will not succumb to those temptations. There's too much at stake to trifle with the future of our nation, the future of the church which Christ died to establish, and the souls of men for us to just sit back and do nothing. 
there is a small but militant minority out there that is bent on destroying all vestiges of our Christian heritage, and they have set in motion their cultural jihad to infiltrate the media, education, and politics, especially the courts, and impose their secular fundamentalism upon us. We are living in desperate times. And I believe that there are two issues that have come to the forefront in recent times that demonstrate that the thinking of the average American is morally adrift from the truth of God's word. Those two issues are the sanctity of human life and the sanctity of human sexuality. Now let me say a word or two about the sanctity of human life first. David writes of God's hand upon each life in Psalm 139, verses 14 and 13 and 14. He says, thou hast possessed my reins, a phrase that means you have formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows right well or very well. David knew very well that he was created by God through the miracle of procreation. People intuitively know the truth about life and the truth about origin because man bears God's image. The best and the latest science agrees with God's word that life begins at conception. Taking innocent life no matter how small, runs contrary not only to our conscience, but also to scripture. And because Americans know this deep down, they are morally conflicted. In the 42 years since the legalization of abortion in 1973, more than 56 million babies have died through abortion. In 2013, there was approximately 1.2 million abortions. If you do the math, that comes out to about 3,300 abortions daily, 137 abortions every hour, one abortion every 30 seconds. And yet the majority of Americans are, are unable to commit to ending this atrocity. And while we do acknowledge that the rate of abortion is declining, I think that all of you here this morning would agree with me that even one abortion is one too many. And then concerning the sanctity of human sexuality, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 it says that marriage is honorable in all and the marriage bed undefiled for God will judge the adulterer and all the whoremongers or all of the sexual immoral. My friends, God did not wear a flower in his hair and attend the summer of love in San Francisco in 1968. In fact, he wasn't even invited. Had he been there, though, he would have been there to remind them that sexuality is something that belongs in marriage between a man and a woman. 
Americans are conflicted because they know that sexual immorality is wrong. But they either engage in illicit sexual activity or they know people who do, so therefore they don't want to stand up against it. And when you look at what's going on in our culture and when you look at what's going on in our society and we ask ourselves, well, how's the sexual revolution working out for America? And you look at the statistics, you will find that it didn't work very well. According to the Center for Disease Control in 2011, there was the largest number of sexually transmitted diseases cases ever reported, mostly in men who were having sex with men. The rate of HIV increased 22% among homosexuals between the ages of 13 and 24. And yet we still have the audacity to think that we can redefine marriage and that we can redefine the, na the natural family. We all know that in June of this year, the Supreme Court has ruled that gay marriage is legal in all 50 states. Now, I could go on and I could talk about the fact that Hollywood is a vast wasteland of immorality with virtually all of the stars of pop culture being liberal or the fact that public education is on the wrong track with the last two generations of students from kindergarten all the way through graduate school being constantly inoculated with the atheistic, humanistic, materialistic view of evolution. We could talk about encroaching Islam, but I'll save those topics for another time. I think you get the point. I think you get the point. So what are we, as the church of God, going to do in light of the current situation that confronts us in our day? What can we do? Here's what I believe we can do. We can stand firm on the solid truths of the Judeo-Christian faith. We can cling to the only hope that we have, who is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because he can do things that we in our own power can never do. We can earnestly pray for divine intervention, and we can be wholly committed to the authority of God's word. Now, I know what some of those people out there are saying. They're saying, well, you're just one little church. In fact, there are individual churches out there that are larger than your entire denomination. So what can you do? How can you possibly make a difference? Whatever you might do is nothing but a waste of time and effort. There's nothing that is going to happen as a result of that. Roe versus Wade will never be abolished. Abortion will never go away. And same-sex marriage is here to stay. So there are proponents out there, Goliaths, if you will, who say that we are doing nothing but spitting in the wind. We might as well use our time and effort for something more productive and just go with the flow. And they say things like, oh, you've got to lay aside those silly convictions. You've got to lay aside those biblical convictions. You've got to lay aside those Judeo-Christian principles. And you've got to get politically correct. And you've got to just assimilate into what society is becoming. And the one that really grabs me, 
why don't you just stop judging and show love like Jesus did? Well, my friends, the Goliaths that we face in our day may not be in the form of nine-foot-tall giants like David faced in 1 Samuel chapter 17. But I believe that the mode of operation of all of the opponents of the kingdom and work of God is always the same, and that is fear and intimidation. That is the only tactics that the Goliaths of our day know. Those who stand in opposition to Christian and moral principles. They know that if they can just bluff us out with their bullying or their terrorization devices and just get the church to stay within its own four walls and remain little bless me clubs, instead of coming outside and being the church, they know that they can continue to indoctrinate this generation as well as future generations with their ungodly and soul-damning hogwash. But I'm here to tell you this morning that if the church will indeed be the church, and if we will stand firm on the solid truths of the Judeo-Christian faith, and if we will cling to the only hope that we have, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we will earnestly pray for divine intervention, and if we will be wholly committed to the authority of God's word, then we are most certainly fighting a winnable war. Now, why do I say that? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I know that in that context, John is dealing primarily with false teachers. But aren't those who attempt to shut down the Christian voice in our country today, to a large extent, false teachers? Do they not use tactics that primarily involve lies and falsehoods, or a twisting of the truth, or at the very least, lies simply sprinkled with a little element of truth? by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, who is greater than Satan, who is the spirit of error, true believers can overcome deceiving teachers. We can overcome the Goliaths of our day. And in fact, according to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, in the mind of God, it's already a done deal. Did you notice carefully what the verse said? It said, you are of God. You have overcome because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We all know as Christians that it is not flesh and blood that we are at war with, but we are literally at war with the spiritual powers of darkness in high places. However, we also know that most of these ideas And most of these falsehoods manifest themselves through and by people. I believe that's one reason even many Christians are so easily deceived into believing that we aren't walking in love if we have a debate or a disagreement with or if we challenge the proponents of this world system instead of just remaining meek and timid and quiet for the sake of love. These 
demonic spirits and influences could care less about our passive kumbaya love, my friends. Just like the Goliath of David's day, they only understand one thing, warfare. And what we need in our day and time is more people that will stand up for the truths of God's word and allow themselves to be put in jail because they won't issue same-sex marriage licenses. If all of us would have the backbone of that young woman, we could easily win this country back to the principles of God. How long will we let the tyranny of the government rule over us? You see, Goliath was perfectly happy and content to intimidate the armies of Israel and keep them hiding behind their rocks and hiding behind their wagons instead of coming out and facing him. In fact, he was rather enjoying taunting them and mocking them and making light of them. It was fun for him. It was fun for the Philistines. And so as the armies of Israel cowered behind their covers of, of we can and we aren't able and, and he's too big, Goliath daily would come out and, and defy the armies of, of Israel and say, you can't defeat me. I'm here to stay. I'm here to rule. And then out steps this young, enthusiastic, indignant shepherd boy by the name of David. And the armies of Israel are crying, this man Goliath, he's bad to the bone. And David sets forth and says, him? <laughs> he's nothing. In fact, who does he think he is that he could defy the armies of the living God? Where are the Davids today? Notice that when David steps out with faith, what happens? You know the story. Sadly, even his own brothers start hurling insult and accusation at him. Well, you're just a little shepherd boy. You don't know anything about fighting giants. You just better stay back. And I am amazed at how many Christians and even pastors will bravely yell out from behind their covers of fear at those of us their brothers and sisters in Christ who are involved in the fight. And they will say things like, well, you're doing nothing but inviting trouble for us from the government and from the IRS. They're going to take away our 501c3 status if you don't just sit down and shut up. I mean, why don't you just be happy with what we have and leave it alone? Politics doesn't have any place in the pulpit. They have obviously not been very familiar with a little shepherd boy named David. They obviously don't know very much about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And many others will just simply sit back and they say, you know, well, I don't want to get involved in that stuff. Can I let you in on a little secret this morning? You are involved. You're involved right now. You may not know it. But you're involved. 
The Goliaths of our day want the church to remain behind its covers of excuses and stay within the confines of our facility walls and not engage the culture. Because some of these Goliaths, if not all of them, know that when the church rises up to its full potential and capacity in the power of the Holy Spirit, the church is a force to be reckoned with. They don't want that. You stay in your church. We don't want you out here in the world. And verse after verse in the word of God tells us that we are mostly in a war. But if you flip to the end of the book, you know that at the end, ultimately, we win. In the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 37, it says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not only conquerors, more than conquerors. So how, my friends, can we right here, right now, experience the victory that God says is already ours? May I submit to you this morning that we can do so by standing firm on the solid truths of the Judeo-Christian faith? May I submit to you that we can do so if we will cling to the only hope that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ? That we can do so if we earnestly pray for divine intervention because God can do those things that we ourselves cannot? And that we can do so if we will be wholly committed to the authority of God's word? Now that brings me to my text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. I won't read those verses again. You know them. Can I just share with you what I believe concerning the scriptures and what I believe that we as Southern Methodists believe concerning God's holy word? I'm going to make a statement to you now. Listen carefully. We believe in the divine, verbal, plenary inspiration of the scriptures. And we believe in the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters of faith and practice. We base that belief on two passages of scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 21. Now I want to call your attention this morning to six key words and phrases in that statement that I just made. The first four words define what we believe about the Bible. The last two statements describe how the Bible should function in our lives and in our churches. The first word is the word divine. What do we mean when we say that we believe in the divine inspiration of the Bible? <clears throat> the word divine means that we believe that it comes from God. We believe that when the writers of Scripture penned their words, what they wrote ultimately came from God. And so behind the Holy Scriptures stands God himself. The second word is verbal. Verbal has to do with words, words you speak or words you write. Verbal inspiration means that inspiration extends all the way down to the very words that the apostles used when they wrote the words of Scripture or that the prophets used when they wrote the books of the Old Testament. Now let me clarify. We do not believe 
that God simply inspired the writers of Scripture so that they felt very close to God, and out of their closeness to God, they sat down and wrote whatever they wanted to write. No. Inspiration is not merely in the writers of Scripture. Inspiration extends to the very words that they wrote. The third word is the word plenary. The word plenarily means extending to all the parts. Verbal means word for word. Plenary means every part. Plenary means that inspiration is not just for the good parts of Scripture, not just the parts we use for our quiet time, not just for the parts that really move us. We are saying that God inspired the whole of Scripture, not just John 3.16, but all the way out to the very ends of the text, God inspired every part of it. And then the word inspiration itself is the fourth word. Inspiration has to do with God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. Let me emphasize three things here. Number one, God superintended, but he did not dictate the material. Number two, he used human authors in their own individual styles. And number three, the product of that in the original manuscripts was without error. Now let's notice two key phrases that describe how the Bible should function in our individual lives and in our churches. Because we hold such a high view of the Bible, we believe that it should also function with absolute authority in our midst. And by that we mean that since the Bible is God's word, it is the final court of appeal in all theological debates. More than that, the Bible stands supreme over the opinions of man. When there is a conflict between what our culture says and what the Bible teaches, then we are to reject our culture in favor of the Bible. We are to do that even when obeying the Bible makes us unpopular in our community. So the final phrase tells us that we accept the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters of faith and practice. Now it's extremely crucial that we understand this because the Bible reigns supreme over every aspect of our life together. So the speaker of the Bible's authority in all matters of faith means that we get our doctrine directly from the Word of God. If the Bible says it, we believe it. In fact, our teaching has authority only to the extent that it is truly based upon the Word of God. To speak of the Bible's authority in all matters of practice, well, that covers a very wide area. And what we're talking about there is that we want the Bible to tell us everything we need to know. We want the Bible to tell us how we should organize our church. We want the Bible to tell us how we should organize our homes and how we should raise our children and what should be a priority in our lives and how we should spend our money. And even more than that, it means that we are obligated to live according to the ethical teachings of the Bible. That's what it means to believe in the divine, verbal, plenary inspiration of the Scriptures. 
the first part of that statement is important because once you understand that first part, then, but only then, does the second part of the statement make any sense? Which is that we also believe in the absolute authority of the Bible in all matters of faith and practice. Because the Word of God is breathed by God himself, because it really is from God, because it really is true in all of its parts, we believe that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Therefore, what the Bible says is true, and we must believe it and obey it. When the Bible speaks to us, it is absolutely authoritative. And that's really what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3. Now, I know my time is almost up, so I'm going to rapidly come to an end, and we won't develop this fully this morning. But look at what he says in the last part of verse 16. He says the Bible is useful for teaching. That is, it's useful for teaching the truth. It's useful for rebuking. And so we can use the Bible to stand against the error that is so prevalent in our society today. It is useful for correction. It even shows us when we have gone the wrong way. It is useful for training in righteousness. That means that it shows us how to live our lives pleasing to God. And verse 17 gives us the result of that. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped or furnished unto all good works. That's a military picture. If you've ever seen one of those soldiers over in the Persian Gulf or Afghanistan in, in full battle gear, you know, with all of his equipment on, that's the picture here. The picture is of a believer who is totally equipped to go into battle. Whatever we need to be successful in whatever fight we are fighting for the cause of Christ, we can find in the Word of God. Now, with that in mind, let me close this morning by giving you four implications of this doctrine for the Southern Methodist Church. I'll do it quickly. Number one, we want to follow the Bible as closely as possible. The Bible is our final authority. Now, if the Bible comes from man, like many people believe that it does, then we are entitled to sit in judgment on it. But if the Bible comes from God like we believe that it does, then we must bow in submission to it. It is our supreme authority. And just like Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, we say our conscience is bound by the word of God. Here we stand. We can do no other. Number two, we want our teaching and we want our preaching to be Bible-centered. To a world that rejects authority, the church must declare the authority of God. We must preach. We must teach. We must proclaim the word of God without apology because it is the only hope that this dying world has. And number three, we want to follow the Bible in both the doctrine and the practice of our church. You see, it's one thing to say you believe the Bible, it's another thing to live that out on a daily basis. We must allow the word of God to infiltrate every fiber of our being and mold us into the very image of Christ. As John R.W. Stott once said, we must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior.
And number four, when we are forced to make a choice between our culture and the Bible, we choose the Bible. We live in days of spiritual anarchy. We must therefore be men and women who are under authority, who do what we are told, even when it is not popular. And so if we are despised for telling the truth about homosexuality, or despised for telling the truth about abortion, or telling the truth about gay marriage, then so be it. And if we are thought to be narrow-minded and bigoted, then so be it. Our deepest commitment must be to the Word of God. If we would even hope to make an impact on this godless society in which we live, it is only going to be by standing firm on the solid truths of the Judeo-Christian faith and by clinging to the only hope that we have, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and by praying for divine intervention and by being wholly committed to the authority of this book that we call God's Word. That is the foundation of everything else we believe, and that is the foundation of everything else we do. And if the foundation be strong, then we can build a house that will stand the storms of cultural destruction when all of the other houses are blown away by the howling winds of sin and unbelief. I'm committed to building a strong house. I trust that you are too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for reminding us that you have given us the gift of your holy word. It's a precious book, Lord. We take it for granted so often. But it is literally the foundation for everything that we say, for everything that we do, for everything that we believe. And we've got to use the word of God against the onslaught are the things that our culture is bringing against us on a daily basis. It's the only thing that has the answer. Help us, Lord, to stand solidly firm and strong upon your truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Dr. Thigpen for a challenge from God's word that should move our church again, though we've always said we are and we are a Bible-believing church, that we will truly be a Bible-practicing church as well. Let us turn together for our closing hymn to number 275, How Firm a Foundation. We're going to stand and sing the first and second verses only. We're going to ask you that are here this morning, if you want to stand out and say this morning, yeah, that's what I believe. That is my conviction. We're just going to ask you to come and just join here at this altar for the closing prayer of consecration that our church remain faithful to the word of God. Bring your hymn book with you so you can sing right at the altar. Leave them at the altar and our caretaker will see it to get back in the pews. But as you feel led to say this morning, Lord, I hear it. It's barely amen. I want our church to stay true to the word of God. We invite you to come to this altar and say it by that action. I will stay true to the word. Let us stand verses 1 and 2 as we close this morning.
benediction of the benedict, of course. Let us pray together. And now may the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit keep you, strengthen you, and cause you to stand until Jesus comes again. Amen and amen. Make me a blessing, joining together the choral benediction. As you leave, go out and tell someone, Jesus loves you and so do I. Till we meet again, don't forget the special service tonight. You are dismissed. God bless you all.